Welcome to Our Stories. I'm your host, Hannah. In every episode, we bring on a guest to tell a real story. Listener discretion is advised for this episode, as it contains descriptions of bodily injuries. This episode, our guest is Dwayne. Hi there. Uh, So, Dwayne, what story are we hearing today? We are hearing how I fell 72 feet off the side, straight down off the side of a mountain and lived to tell about it, which is the equivalent of of, uh, falling off the top of a seven-story building. That's really high. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's higher than I, six. Guarantee, I guarantee you it's re- it's really high. So the name of the mountain is Devil's Bedstead. And this is a mountain that I had tried to climb twice previously but failed. I had to go back for a a third try. Third um, time's the charm, right? Third time is the charm. So on the third time I tried going up a different mountain face. Because I came to the conclusion that where I went the first two times just was impassable. Couldn't be done. So I headed up early in the morning, probably close to daybreak. I got to a point where if you're a mountain climber, the basic rule is if it gets to be 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're supposed to turn around and go back. Mm-hmm. Because you're if you you're gonna run out of light, you're gonna run out of daylight, and at two o'clock when I knew I should have turned around, I could see the top. It wasn't far away, you know, maybe a couple hundred yards away, and even though I knew I I should turn around. I didn't. I had what's called summit fever. It's basically a mountaineer's term for you want to go to the top and you make bad decisions, which is what I did. I knew it was going to turn dark before I came down. I kept on going and I made it to the top. And so I made my goal and I started down. And sure enough, (laughs) before I got down, it turned dark. Now, now, or since then, it wouldn't have been as big a deal now as it was then. Because now I carry headlamps. So I would be able to see better, which I didn't then. And sure enough, I partway down, it turned dark. And I fell. And I know that it's 72 feet because I've been back there. And I took a nylon cord with a weight from that same place and threw it over the side until it hit bottom. You know, and then marked it and pulled the cord up and measured it. And it's 72 feet, which is basically a seven-story building. I fell into... A shallow mountain creek which it wasn't very deep but it probably did help in that it cushioned the fall as compared to falling on a rock. I'm also probably fortunate in the sense that when I landed I was straight up and down. Had I landed sideways or upside down I'd be dead for sure and even landing straight up and down It's still something of a miracle that I'm alive because 
not so long after I fell, someone else fell somewhere else at 70 feet, and that person died. If you want to know the extent of my injuries, I had a concussion, I had cracked ribs, I had a partially collapsed lung, and if you know what the ball and socket joint is in your hip, I snapped the ball completely off the bone. I was in bad shape. So I dragged myself out of the water off to the side. And initially my plan was is just to sleep overnight and head out in the morning. But it didn't take me long to have this realization or fear. I mean, it gets cold in the mountains overnight in September. This was September 10th, 2009. So up in elevation, it gets cold. So I had this fear that if I went to sleep, I would freeze to death and not wake up. So I started moving. Obviously, I could not walk. So I scooted on my butt for as long as I could during the night. And it took me a total of 16 hours to get back to my car. I knew exactly where I was, but I also knew that no one was gonna come along and find me because I was basically in the middle of nowhere, not on a trail, not on anything like that. So I knew that I had to, I really had two choices, which sounds maybe gruesome, but it was to get myself out of there or lay there and die. That was it. And I was always pretty confident I was going to make it. So I started scooting on my butt. And I went until the brush got so thick and it was so dark I couldn't see anymore. And in the process, I froze the fingers on both my hands pushing on the cold ground. I mean, it's freezing ground. But I stopped and I sat on a big rock thinking, I can't see and the brush is too thick. I can't go any further. And while I was sitting on that rock, the thing that actually disturbed me the most was that I couldn't get air. I couldn't get a deep breath of air, which I didn't know at the time. I had a partially collapsed lungs. So I'm assuming only one of my lungs was really working. And I knew I was freezing my fingers. My actual fear during the night was that due to frostbite, I would end up losing fingers. I could literally feel them freeze. So I was sitting on this rock and I kept looking at the sky saying, Dang, I wish the sun would come up. (laughs) I wish the sun would come up. And it just felt like it took forever. And as soon as I could start out again, I headed out. And I came across a common trail. I knew what trail it was. It's actually the trail I took to get into the mountains. And so I followed the trail, pushed myself along. And at some point the next day, I don't remember, it's probably in the morning still. I reached the point where I said, you know, I said, I can't go any further. I give up, I can't do it. And I just stopped. 
And I did that multiple times. I don't know how many times, but I would start, go a little ways and say, I can't do it. Stop. But finally I said, basically, this is dumb. You, you have no choice. So I kept going. I got back to my car. And in some ways, fortunate for me, the leg that I messed up was my left leg. So my driving leg was fine. And I, I had no problem whatsoever driving back into Ketchum, which was about 40 minutes drive away. On the way out of this trail, it was a vehicle trail, back onto a gravel road, there's another crick that runs by. And I know that you're not supposed to drink water out of a crick without like iodine pills to sanitize the water, which I did not have. If the crick had been level to the road, I would have done it because I hadn't had water for more than 16 hours. And I was, I mean, I was so thirsty. But I, I would have had to get out of my car, scoot back downhill to get to the creek and back up. It didn't seem reasonable, so I didn't. Otherwise, I would have stopped and drank water right out of the creek. So I drove into Ketchum. There's a, at a convenience store in Ketchum. I stopped and I pulled in next to the store. And there was this guy going back. And I asked him if he could help me into the restroom because I broke my leg and I couldn't walk in. So he called another guy over and one on each side, they basically carried me into the restroom. When I came out, the EMTs were already there because he had taken one look at me and said, you should be in a hospital. So I must've looked pretty bad. And I didn't feel as bad as that, other than I was extremely thirsty. But anyhow, by the time I came out of the restroom, the EMTs were standing there waiting. And I told them, you know, they wanted to take me to the Wood River Hospital. And I said, no, I'd, I'd be okay. I figured I had a broken leg. I just, I was going to drive back to Twin Falls, go to the hospital, and get taken care of there. And they said, if you have a broken leg, it is the femur, which is the upper bone, is a bone that will bleed. There's the potential that between their Ketchum and Twin Falls, I could literally bleed to death internally. So I said, oh, okay, all right, fine. So they took me to the Wood River Hospital. The Wood River Hospital was too small to deal with my injuries. So I got airlifted, you know, helicopter airlifted, medevac. I got medevaced to Boise. And in Boise, I went straight into surgery. And the way, <laughs> the way I describe it is, well, the old nursery rhyme, you know, Humpty Dumpty, and they couldn't put them back together. Well, I'm Humpty Dumpty, and they did put me back together. And they tried to save the bones. And so somehow, whatever they do, they put the bones back together after... They put it back together, and then I'm in the hospital, recovery. 
and my kidneys stopped working. So they had to put me on kidney dialysis. And the doctor said that with major trauma, that happens quite a bit. And often or usually they'll start back up again, which is what happened after a couple of days. I got released to go home. My son, who lived in Idaho at the time, picked me up, drove me back to Twin Falls. So home care, a nurse or whatever her position was, would come in and help take care of some things. And I had people like your dad who came, they took me food shopping and stuff like that. Interestingly enough, and I don't remember how I first met your dad, but I'm not sure I would have been, because I hardly knew him then. I'm not sure I could have made it without him, because he checked on me and, and helped take care of me and all of that stuff. So anyhow, I was in a wheelchair for six months. After a couple of weeks of being home, I went back to school, teaching school. So I left the wheelchair at, at school, and so I taught out of a wheelchair, getting around my room and getting around the school and stuff like that. It was pretty interesting how helpful kids were. All day long, kids were, can I help you, type of thing. Now, I was in a wheelchair for six months, and I went from a wheelchair to crutches, to a walker, to a cane, to finally not, no AIDS. And I still have permanent damage in mostly my left leg, little bit in my right foot, but mostly in my left leg. Some days it's super sensitive. If I would put a pencil on the floor, and step on a pencil without a shoe on it, it would be extremely painful. That is there and it's always going to be there. Sometimes I can't feel virtually anything. I've been in the mountains once since then in which my shoe came off and I didn't know it. I kept on walking and I didn't know, because on that particular day, I had no feeling in my foot. And I kept on going when I realized, I mean, that sounds bizarre, I'm sure, but sometimes I don't have any feeling hardly at all. When I realized I didn't have a shoe on, I tried to backtrack and find it and I couldn't. And I took my sweatshirt off and I wrapped it around my foot to protect my foot to walk back to my car. As soon as I could walk unassisted, I was back in the mountains. And the first mountain I went up was on the other side of Ketchum when I'd been up multiple times before. And I still had significant nerve damage in my left leg and there were points at which I had to crawl in order to keep going up because I couldn't walk because of that leg. And I made it 
not to the top. I made it as close to the top as I could. There's a pretty hard rock formation to get up the last maybe 30 yards. And I went and made it up to that rock formation and then I turned around there because I knew I didn't have the skill yet to get back up it and I came back down. The way I remember it, it took me eight hours to go up and get down. And I've gone up it since then, since, you know, since I've gotten better. And I was under six hours, if that tells you anything about what that took. But I have been going into the mountains ever since. Now, because of age, not because of my injuries, climbing the hard ones is now too hard. I'm 69. It is beyond my skill level of what I can handle. But I still go up small mountains and I still hike in the mountains. And right now I am training to go rim to rim of the Grand Canyon from one side to the other, 24 miles in 20 hours nonstop. So I still am out there pushing myself <laughs> till the day I die. If you're listening in, thank you for joining us and stay tuned for another episode of Our Stories. Thank you all, and I'll see you next episode.